God, we thank you for our freedom here in America, the freedom to gather and worship, the freedom to talk openly about the gospel. Lord, those are blessings that certainly are not uh, universal. They haven't always been prevalent for the church through history. They aren't always prevalent for the church scattered around the globe today. And so we thank you that in our case, we can worship you freely. But Lord, we also recognize that we have brothers and sisters in countries around the world where publicly making a profession of their faith or publicly declaring the gospel to others could put their very life in jeopardy. And so Lord, we want to lift them up in prayer. God, would you embolden them to live their faith and to speak the good news of the gospel to those around them? Would you protect them in the midst of that? Would you encourage them as they face their persecution uh, that exists within their country? God, would you remind them continually, like we've been talking about in 1 Peter, that they've got this indestructible hope and that because that can't be taken away from them, there's no reason to fear anything here on earth. Lord, that doesn't diminish what they face on a day-in and day-out basis, but it does give them hope of something greater in the future, and it gives them a hope that they can continue to boldly proclaim the gospel despite their circumstances. Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters in persecuted nations, God, that they would just be so deeply in love with Christ, so caught up in what He has done to save them, Lord, that they would be willing to wade in to challenging and potentially dangerous situations in an attempt to share the gospel with their country people. God, my prayer is that you would move so powerfully in and through the church and persecuted nations that you would just make a mockery out of human beings who try to stop your work. God, my prayer is that just as the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, so too would the persecution of man not stop the church. God, our prayer is that you would raise up believers all around the world in countries that experience persecution and in countries that don't. And Would you give them a passion for their own people, a passion to share the gospel and to build disciples and to send people out? God, would you raise up individuals from this nation who have a heart for the people of a different country, and would you send them, motivated by the gospel, for the spread of the gospel, into places so that they can equip and encourage believers in other places. Lord, thank you for our freedom here. Thank you for our brothers and sisters who persevere in the midst of persecution where they live. God, would you continue to move through them? Would you continue to protect them and empower them? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to take a little bit of a break this morning from 1 Peter, which is what we've been doing over the last couple of months. Uh, Bob Vogelar is going to pick that up for us next week. But this week, we want to spend a little bit of time doing some vision casting about something that's coming up in the future for us. Uh, I know it's November 6th, and 2017 feels like it's a little ways off, but there's already Christmas stuff out in just about every store around town, so I think it's safe for us to start talking about the next year. Um, As a staff, over the course of 2015, we've spent a lot of time working together, praying together, brainstorming together about what's the Lord doing here in our church, and what's 
coming next and what's he calling us to and how do we serve our church as best as we possibly can kind of based on where we are right now. And the thing that kept coming up for me, the thing that kept coming up for us as a staff is a desire to see uh, this church body engage in, with Scripture at a higher level. Scripture is very important to us. We teach through Scripture. We take it as it comes to us in the Bible. We stand upon the truth of Scripture. Um, and that's wonderful. And that's a good thing. It's how that should be. But what we want to spend the next year doing is helping every person in our church be able to engage with Scripture on their own outside of here. And so we're working on something, uh, we've done a lot of work on something called the Bible Initiative, which we're going to roll out in 2017. Um, I'll explain kind of more uh, the nitty-gritty of that here in a little while, but this came, uh, this kind of started to bubble to the surface for me as I listened to a podcast by one of my favorite authors. His name is Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, he wrote the book Tipping Point and Outliers and a book called Blink, and he had a podcast over the spring and the summer. And in one of those uh, podcast episodes, he talked about the difference between basketball and soccer, which seems obvious. One involves your hands and one involves your feet. But he talked about the difference between success in basketball and success in soccer. And what he used to talk about it was this sociological construct called a strong link versus a weak link uh, endeavor. Basketball is a strong link sport. There are five people on the court. For the most part, success in basketball rises and falls on the strength of your superstar. If you've got LeBron James, you're probably going to be better than the team that doesn't have LeBron James. If you've got Steph Curry, there's a good chance you're going to be better than the team that doesn't have Steph Curry. If your team has Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Kevin Durant, you're probably going to be better than every other team, except for maybe the one that has LeBron James. And so... That's a strong link sport. When push comes to shove in basketball, you can give the ball to your superstar and just allow that person to make a play. Soccer is different. Scoring in basketball can take less than 10 seconds. Scoring in soccer can require 10 minutes to put together. It can require longer than that. It may take 20 or 30 passes, three or four defensive plays, in order to get the ball into a position where you could even get it to your superstar and hope that they have a chance to score. Soccer is a weak link sport. You're as good as your 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th best player because odds are, in the attempt to score, they're going to have to continue a succession of passes. And if they always mess it up, you never get into a position to score. It's weak link. The way you make a basketball team better is to go get a better superstar or two superstars. The way you make a soccer team better is that you work on identifying your weakest player and you raise their ability level, and it makes your entire team better. Strong, weak, strong link versus weak link. Unfortunately, in America, we have oftentimes tried to turn Christianity into a strong link endeavor. Oh, well, here's Billy Graham, and he's really good at telling people about the gospel, so we'll just let Billy Graham tell people about the gospel. Here's John Piper. He's really good at understanding the Bible. So we'll just let John Piper understand the Bible, and he can tell it to everybody else. I don't have to do that myself. I don't have to tell people about the gospel, because here's a super Christian 
that can do it for me. I don't have to engage with Scripture because here's a super Christian that can do it for me. That's not the way Scripture actually paints a picture of any believer's engagement in their relationship with the Lord or any believer's engagement in the expanse of the gospel to the ends of the earth. The Bible paints a picture of a weak link endeavor where the gospel expands, the gospel goes because every believer takes it upon themselves to both understand who God is and what God has done and then communicate that to those around them. That we would regularly engage every single one of us in praying for people who don't know the Lord, that the Spirit would move in them and draw them to salvation, that we would be able to articulate the gospel. That's, we read about that in First Peter last week, that you would always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, and that you would do it with gentleness and kindness and respect. All of us. Jesus gave the Great Commission to everyone. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. The way that this typically works uh, in America is it becomes like an addition problem. Here's a person who stands up in front and regularly talks about Jesus. I have a friend that doesn't know the Lord. I'll bring my friend to the person that talks about Jesus and hope that they put their faith in Christ. And we're just adding people, one at a time, two at a time, three at a time, maybe 20 at a time, maybe 100 at a time at a large event or something like that. The way that this is supposed to work is by multiplication. That I put my faith in Jesus. I have a friend who's never put his faith in Christ. She's never put her faith in Christ. I spend time with that person. I explain the gospel to them. I pray for them. I just come before the Lord and I urge the Spirit to move in that person's heart so that they would place their faith in Jesus Christ. And if they do, now there are two of us. And it's not just me that explains the gospel because I've done it once. It's both of us now. And two would become four. And then four becomes eight. And eight, 16, 32, 64. And the growth becomes exponential. We're multiplying instead of just adding. But that requires something out of every believer. It means that the strength of the movement of the gospel does not rely upon a better and better and better and better superstar who only has reach in a particular area. It means that the movement of the gospel should be the work of the Spirit through all believers in all places. It means that we all need to have an understanding of Scripture. We all need to have an understanding of who God is. We all need to have an understanding of how to communicate the gospel and what God has done to save humanity through the person of Jesus Christ. That requires that we all put in a little bit of effort. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the call to make disciples is a calling on your life. It's not just the words outside in our lobby on our little mission statement, building devoted followers of Jesus Christ. It's that all of us would seek to spread the gospel and to build followers of Christ. But in order to give that away, we've got to know who God is. We must know God before we're able to make God known. And there's only one place where we see the fullness of who God is, and that's in Scripture. We don't have to guess about the character of God. He's told us His character from His own mouth. We don't have to guess about what's required for salvation. He's told us what's required for for salvation. It's in Scripture. It's his revelation of himself given to us that we might know who he is, know who we are, and know what's necessary to live in right relationship with him. 
All of our discipleship, evangelistic, missional efforts are empowered by God based on an understanding of who He is, what His plan is for the world, and how He's accomplished that through Jesus Christ. And the only place we get that is in Scripture. So we've got to be regularly engaging as Christians. The church is as effective in its commitment to the spread of the gospel as its people are immersed in the story of the gospel. Or maybe to put that a different way, I'm convinced that we will go as far for the gospel as we're willing to go deep into the gospel. If you have very little understanding of what Jesus did to save you, you would have very little desire to do very much to see him save other people. If you understand the full depth of your sinful condition and the exact cost, the priceless cost of Jesus Christ to redeem your soul from sin, you would want everybody to know that. We'll go exactly as far for the gospel as we're willing to go deep into the gospel. So because of that, we need to be people who understand who God is and what he's done and who we are and why we needed saving and how he made that happen. We need to be people who are committed to regularly and passionately and intentionally, prayerfully seeking the Lord through scripture. So in 2017, as a church, we want to make a really big deal out of all of us engaging in scripture. And so we've been putting some work into some resources in order to make that more feasible for everyone. And I'll get to those details in a second. We're calling it the Bible Initiative. And I just want to give you the five prayers that we have for this. We've been working on this since uh, early in 2016 and coming up with a reading plan and all of these resources, and we've been praying over it a lot. And so here are the prayers that keep kind of rising to the surface for me and for us as a staff. The first is that the Word of God will speak. The Word of God will speak. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and active. Not the word of Tim Fritzen or the word of Jim Stites at Youth Group or the word of Libby Skillman or Catherine Cole to your children. The word of God is living and active. And we're praying that the Word of God would speak to us over the next year. I do not want to be the primary voice that is heard in this church or in any individual's relationship with Jesus. I don't want Jim Stites to be the primary voice that's heard in youth group or in any of your students' relationships with Jesus. We want God to be the voice that's heard. We don't want your small group to be the primary voice in your relationship with the Lord. We want the Lord to be the primary relationship, our voice, in your relationship to the Lord. That's why we teach through Scripture the way that we do. But it also means that the only setting that you interact with, or this can't be the only setting where you interact with Scripture. Otherwise, we become the only voice that you hear. You hear someone stand up here and talk about Scripture rather than letting the Lord speak to you through Scripture on your own. We want the Word of God to speak. Our second prayer is that the Word of God will transform. We're praying that it will transform individuals and that while we're transformed as individuals, that our church would be transformed by the Bible. And that as we're transformed as individuals and as we're transformed as a church, that our community here in the Kansas City North would be transformed. And that as we're transformed as individuals and our church is transformed and this 
community is transformed, that that transformation would reach to the ends of the earth as people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that sounds like something that a pastor would stand up in front of a church and say, but that really is our prayer. We're praying that as people interact with Scripture, they see the story of Jesus Christ and that they would be drawn to salvation, that people would be saved. There are individuals who sit in here every Sunday morning and they've not placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They think that by sitting here every Sunday morning, they're going to stand before the Lord and they're going to be right before Him. And unfortunately, that's not true. There are people who come here every Sunday morning and they would vocalize, I do not believe the gospel. We're praying that as the Word of God speaks, that those people's hearts would be transformed, that they would be ushered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that they would see the beauty of the gospel and they would place their faith in Christ. We're also praying for those of you here who have placed your faith in Christ that you would be transformed, that I would be transformed by the word of God. And that transformation looks a whole lot like increased humility. I pray that as each and every one of us, even if we've interacted with Scripture for 50 years up to this point, that over the course of the next year, while we walk through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, that the Lord would humble us and lead us to places of greater humility. It's easy to think too much of ourselves when we know too little of God's greatness. If we don't understand how beautiful and marvelous and loving and vast and awesome and worthy of praise God is, it's pretty easy to think that we are beautiful and lovely and worthy of praise. But if we understand just who God is, how vast he is, how infinite he is, it gets easier to see ourselves in right proportion to him. The Word of God will speak. The Word of God will transform. We're also praying that the Word of God would inform. 2 Timothy 3, 14-17 says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred, sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We do pray that we would grow in our knowledge of Scripture, that we would grow in our knowledge of who God is, that we would grow in our knowledge of what the Bible has to say about various topics and how to live in right relationship with the world around us. We do pray we would grow in our knowledge of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Scripture tells us that it is sufficient for all that we need in terms of life and godliness. And so we pray that it would inform us. But in the midst of that prayer, we're praying that our head's knowledge of the Word would never outpace our heart's desire to be changed by the Word. We don't want to become a church that's just fat with theological knowledge. We want to become a church that has a huge heart that's been transformed by Scripture. A huge heart that's been transformed by the Gospel. Our fourth prayer is that the Word of God will lead us to worship. Our transformation and information should lead us to a place of worship. One of the pictures I just have over and over and over again as I think about 2017 and our congregation really making a push and uh, doing this in a collective sort of way is I keep getting this picture of families or couples or individuals sitting before the Word of God around dinner tables or on back patios or in recliners early in the morning or at a workplace break room or whatever the case might be and being moved to worship as they interact with the Word. I don't mean that they start singing because that's music. I mean that we're moved to a place of worship. 
that we would see God for who he is and our heart would just burst out in response to him. That we would see the beauty and majesty of God in his fullness and that we would worship him. Brian is passionate about worship. He really likes music. Music is fantastic. He's passionate about people worshiping, responding to God for who God is and what God has done and what he is doing and what he will do in the future. And this vision I have in my head is that as we as a congregation interact with scripture together intentionally on our own throughout the week on a regular basis, we would be moved to places of worship outside the walls of this building, outside of Sunday mornings, in our homes, in our communities, in our families, we would worship the Lord. We're praying that God would lead us to a place of worship. And our last prayer is that the word of God will create hunger. I've had a mind-blowing experience over the last few years, and that's that did you know that an appetizer isn't like part of the meal? That sounds funny, but when you get an appetizer, when I get an appetizer, I eat it with the intent of making myself less hungry. The appetizer is actually intended to like rev up your appetite. I had no idea. When you're at a Mexican restaurant and they set the chips and salsa in front of you, that's not course one of the meal. I go to a Mexican restaurant, I want to eat enough chips and salsa to not be hungry and then get some tacos delivered. That's what I'm after. But an appetizer is designed to make you a little more hungry. It's supposed to get your appetite going. That's our prayer for this initiative in 2017. Not that we as a church would read through Scripture together, Genesis to Revelation, and then we'd get to the end of 2017 and say, okay, I've done that, I'm finished. We're praying that this would lead us to a hunger for the Lord and for His Word. Oftentimes, I think we come to Scripture out of desperation, or we come out of despair, or we come out of uh, moments of just needing to hear, feeling like we need something for the Lord, and so we sit down and we open up the Bible, and what does Scripture have to say to me today? And just wherever we happen to land, we think, that's what God wanted to say to me today. I want us as a congregation, we as a staff, the Lord wants us as a congregation to come to Scripture out of desire a desire to see God, to interact with God, to commune with God. Our prayer is that 2017 would create hunger in us, a hunger for the Lord, a hunger for Scripture. Psalm 42 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Our prayer is that at the end of 2017, we as a church would just be panting for more of the Lord. So what's the plan? How are we going to do that? Well, it's one thing to tell people to read the Bible. I've been doing that for most of my time in ministry. Hey, you should read the Bible. Yeah, read the Bible. Have a quiet time. Get in, get in the Word. And nobody ever responds to you with, I don't think that's important. Everybody says, yes, I should read the Bible more. But then there are some hurdles to get over. I don't know what to read. I don't understand what I'm reading. I don't know how to take what I read and actually apply it to my life. I, I have a hard time making time or knowing how much I should read or knowing why what I'm reading even matters. And so our plan throughout 2017 is to try to give everyone in our church some easily grabbable handles for increasing their engagement with Scripture and eliminating some of the challenges associated with engaging in Scripture. So here's how that's going to work. We've been working on putting together uh, these booklets. And inside each booklet 
are uh, some various pieces. But the first booklet's going to run January 1st through about Easter, and that's Genesis to Joshua. The second one will pick up the week of Easter and go Joshua to Nehemiah. And then late in the summer, we'll do the Gospels. That'll be the third book. And then the fourth book will go Acts to Revelation uh, at the end of the year. And inside the booklet are a few pieces. There's a reading plan. It's laid out, and there are five readings put together there for you. We didn't label them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, because quite frankly, some of you don't like to feel pinned down. And so we labeled them one, two, three, four, and five, so you can pick which days you read Scripture. If Monday is really hectic, that's okay. There are five readings every week. Most of them are somewhere between one chapter and three chapters, and they start on the smaller end of that, and they get larger as we go. We're not trying to run everybody off by January 5th. And so some people that are going to be engaging with this have never actually tried to regularly engage with Scripture. So we're starting on the smaller side of the reading links, and then they'll kind of build as we go forward. But they never exceed more than probably 10 or 15 minutes of reading, depending on how fast of a reader you are. The other thing that's important about the reading plan is that it doesn't include every word of the Bible. Our goal is to walk through the big storyline of Scripture. Here's who God is. He creates. The pinnacle of that creation is humanity. But humanity sins and willfully decides to walk in disobedience to Him. And then there's this story that plays out of God preparing and calling a people who will be a, a blessing to all the nations... And he's working toward the redemption of humanity. And that happens through the person of Jesus Christ. And then after the Gospels there, we get some instruction on what it looks like to live in light of Jesus. And what's going to happen at the end of all things. And so the reading plan uh, covers the full story of Scripture, but not every verse within the Bible. Our hope is that we get to see the big picture of God's redeeming work as he's told us it in Scripture. So the reading plan is five days a week, 52 weeks of next year. The other thing, one of the other things that's in the book is there's a context explanation. Because you're not reading every scripture, sometimes we jump a little bit. And we don't want anybody to get lost in the jump or confused. And so we've put together this uh, paragraph at the beginning of every week that explains to you where are you in scripture? How did we move from last week to this week? What are some of the big themes or keys that you're going to see over the course of this week? And then there's your reading plan. There's also a visual element on the next page. That explains maybe a key concept and defines something that's really important in the upcoming week. For instance, when we talk about the fall in Genesis chapter 3, that page gives you a really clear kind of visual definition of sin and what it is and why that matters. Uh, Other places will give you a map and kind of show you where in the world all of this stuff is happening. It could be some sort of visual representation of an important passage in that week's scripture. And so there's a reading plan. There's that kind of sets the context for you. There's a visual element. And then we're also... We've been working on two other pieces. Um, There's a family element every week. And there's a family devotional in there that you and your children could walk through. It's based on one day's worth of reading, not uh, a family devotional for every day, but one day during the week. And there's also a family activity. So you and your kids may act out a passage of Scripture or make some sort of thing that represents one of the things that you're reading that week. So those two family pieces. And then there are small group questions as well. TA has been working really hard on putting those together. Um, over the course of the year, there are seven questions we'd love for you to regularly interact with. They're designed at helping you understand what you read on any given day. What does this tell you about who God is? What does this tell you about who we are? 
It's designed at helping you kind of unpack what's there in Scripture. And those seven questions will be listed at the front of the book, so you can always refer to them. But then every week there are content-specific questions that our small groups can be walking through. If you're not in a small group, here's a plug to get in a small group. Plug. Get in a small group. Otherwise, you can certainly interact with these on your own and have conversation between you and your spouse or you and uh, maybe your, your kids who are a little bit older, your students in high school or whatever the case might be. Um, all of this is available on, will be available online as well. If you're not like a booklet person, maybe you're a millennial who'd rather have it on your phone. I'm a millennial. Hi, I'd rather have it on my phone. And so we put together a website where each week, that week's, uh, all of that week's stuff will be listed for you, and you can just scroll through and see it, and you can also go backward to any week previously. By the time we get to the end of 2017, all of the weeks will be on there, and then we're just going to leave it so that if you're in a discipleship relationship with someone and you say, you know what, I'd love to walk through Scripture with you, it will always be there and will always be available for you to walk through. So um, we're also going to teach through it. That's the last component. On Sunday mornings, we'll teach on the front end of every new week. So week one is going to begin January 1st. We realize that a lot of people will be gone on January 1st or throughout that week because you're traveling. And so we'll distribute books in mid-December. And then on January 1st, we'll launch into week one of this, but we'll start by just talking about the word in general. So week one is all about Psalm 119. We split Psalm 119 into five readings, and we'll talk about the Bible and what it is and how did we get it and why does it matter and all those kinds of things. Then on January 8th, we'll jump into Genesis chapter 1 and begin working our way through the story of Scripture. We're really, really uh, excited about that. My hope is that each and every person in here would come to a place where they're making a really big deal out of the Bible. Not because the Bible is what saves us, but because the Bible is where we learn about Jesus, and Jesus is a really big deal. It would be like saying, you know, I live in a country with a king, and I make a big deal out of the palace because that's where the king lives. We want to make a big deal out of the Bible because that's where the king is. That's where we see Christ. And so in 2017, uh, even if you're someone who regularly has a pattern and a rhythm in your life of engaging with Scripture, I would encourage you to join us in this and, and do this with us as a community. Uh, I've got a regular routine that I do with Scripture, but I'm really excited for January 1st to punt that routine and start something new and walk alongside this congregation as we see the story of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. So we're really excited about that. We'll pass out books in the middle of December. That way you've got them, and, and even if you're not here on January 1st, you can dive in with us. Uh, we're going to take a second and just pray that God would move powerly over the course of the upcoming year. The last thing I want to say is, you don't have to wait to start reading the Bible until January 1st. It's not like the Bible begins on January 1st. It's that <laughs> our initiative to walk through the Bible as a church begins on January 1st. If you're someone who's not regularly engaging in Scripture, um, but you say to yourself, man, I'd really like to, but I don't want to wait until the new year, find one of us who are on staff. We'd love to talk to you about how you could bridge the gap here for a couple of months and then join us at the beginning of the new year. So let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we see you clearly in scripture. Thank you that we don't have to guess as to who you are. We don't have to make up in our own minds who we think God is or what he's like. We can see who you are and what you're like in scripture. We can see the fullness of your character. We can see the depth of your love, the heights of your power. God, we can see the full story of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for humanity. God, we get to see a picture of your never-failing, unstoppable love for humanity and the cost you were willing to pay to redeem us from our sin. No guessing, no wondering, 
no hoping that we did the right thing in order to be saved. We can see the picture of Jesus Christ in Scripture. Lord, my prayer is that you would give us this burning passion as a church to be people who are always in your word. People who give our lives to understanding you more and more and more and to going deeper and deeper into the gospel and to letting ourselves be transformed more and more and more. God, would you speak to us as we engage with your word? Would you transform our hearts over the next year? God, would you inform us so that we know how we're to live as Christians and we know how we're supposed to interact with society and interact with the people around us? God, would your word lead us to worship, that we would just respond to who you are and what you've done and what you're doing and what you will do, God, that our hearts would cry out, not just for music, though music is wonderful, but that our hearts would just cry out and worship to you as we interact with you in your word, Lord, and would your... Would your word create a hunger in us? A longing, a lifelong longing for more of you and for more of your word, God. Would 2017 set a trajectory in our lives that we run to scripture in order to see you? God, would you do that work over the course of the next year? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a great week.